1: Best and brightest, welcome to the Radio Olympiad. I don't have, we don't own the theme music, so I can't, I can either hum it for you or just say Excelsior. How are you, best and brightest? How are you, my friends, my radio family? I am Jay Severin. We are together, the Blaze Radio Network, one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Via Twitter at J A Y little underscore hickey there S E V E R I N. You know what I really want to do? All I really want to do is is uh, Olympics rundown? I want to talk about the Olympics, but I'm not going to at least not right now because I have a feeling that most of us don't want me to do that. So call me linguini spined weak willed giving in. To vox populi, I am all of those things to a degree or another, and aren't we all at one time or another? Uh, no, I'm. I'm here to give you what you want, which I think is a striptease involving my uh, second favorite, second favorite organ, my brain, and so I think we will talk about the Olympics. We will do so as soon as you call 1-888-900-3393. For instance, you could call right now, and that would be the first thing we talk about. Or you can call me when we talk about it, or you could call and say, don't talk about it, and maybe we won't. You could call me when we start to talk about it and say, stop this, stop it, and maybe we would stop. Or you could not call my philosophy on this, and it is a full-blown philosophy. Actually, I have only one philosophy, which I have stolen, which I think was, it's really a gift from Epictetus, so it cannot be stolen in as much as it is proffered as a gift. And that is his motto, his maxim. Decide who you would be, then do what you must do. I was thinking about this during the weekend, um, maybe triggered by my watching and admiring the Olympians. And I, somehow I got on to this notion of, can the most succinct, brilliant Maxim motto I've ever known be distilled even even further? Is that possible? Can that be edited? Can it be shortened and still mean something? And you know what I think the answer is? It it could stand an edit except the more one edits it from that form, the fewer people would understand it. It is so deceptively brilliant in its apparent simplicity that even now, in its formal form, decide who you would be then do what you must do. That That's taken me 25 years at least to figure out as I think about it and think about it. But just as an intellectual exercise, could it withstand an edit? Yeah, it could. I had a friend whose name, because he is a friend I won't use, who is a very, very major Hollywood guy some of us actually went on to become something, and, uh, <clears throat> and this fellow did. I've probably mentioned his name on the air before, but I'm sure it's been a while. Anyway, very big wig, very big wig in Hollywood. And his favorite exp- expression was the answer to my question Could decide who you would be, then do what you must do be edited and the answer is it could though fewer people by exponential measure would understand it grasp it then but here here is what here's what he would say he would say yes yes and i have the edit you ready here's the new edited version of epictetus timeless decide who you would be then do what you must do. It is, quote, deal, period, end quote. That's pretty good. I mean, I'm, I'm not a bad editor, and that makes me a pretty good one. Deal. That was my buddy's favorite expression. Whatever it is you said to him. Dinner reservation, they, you know, we're running an hour behind. Uh, we lost your dry cleaning. You know, the, uh, the flight is d- delayed. Uh, what, 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 and, and we, we travel all, all over the world together. So there were a lot of circumstances in which I would bleed from the eyes, given my temperament. A- and, and, and he, a very different temperament, would shrug almost imperceptibly and either say, Or not have to say to me, deal. As in, with it. And it really is the same meaning. Deal. But again, if you just, if you say, okay, what's your motto uh, that distills to accessible short form the philosophy of your life? And you say to someone, okay, ready? Deal. That's it? Then they're not going to learn from that. Uh, one in ten thousand people, you know, like you, are going to think about it and say, "Hmm, okay, let me think about this. I'm, I'm getting it." But, but most people are going to say, "You require immediate psychiatric care." So, I, I don't think it probably it can editorially withstand uh, an edit. But I don't think that it can philosophically withstand. I don't think it can practically withstand an edit. Boy, I sure didn't think that would be my monologue. But the reason it is, is that I know you don't want me to talk about the Olympics, or I suspect so. And what that gives us is the number one story in our world, which is Donald Trump. And... I'm coming off a high note right now because I watched, listened to the entirety of Donald Trump's speech today to the Economic Club of Detroit, which is a formal, traditional gathering of pro-business folk who meet once a year. I believe I believe it's annual, and invite uh, uh, people of prominence. To speak uh, and th- this year today's luncheon was Trump and it, uh, Trump gave the most well the the, the the major speech of this campaign so far and I say so because it involved jobs in the economy law and order national security And that makes it, that renders it ipso facto, the major speech. And it also was perhaps his most cogent speech. It was well received. It was well delivered. He was on prompter, which drained uh, a, a good deal of the personality out of it. But he's going to have to, you know what he's going to have to do with that? deal. He's going to have to learn to deal with that because he can't go off prompter and deliver a cogent message so he's going to have to learn to give us the hybrid of uh, prompter speeches not every day but fairly frequently and infuse it with Trumpian spirit to the degree he is able and I believe he is. Well I believe he could be Uh, able to construct and deliver an English sentence spontaneously. But don't put my money down on it.
2: This is Jay Severin. Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. This
1: is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest. 1-888-900-3393. 3393 Okay. Donald Trump today delivered a well-delivered, well-received, might we say timely, <clears throat> uh, upbeat, confident, Speech on economic policy read jobs in Detroit, a city which is ground zero. Very few people older than sorry, very few people younger than oh my god, I don't know 50, 60. I don't know. I, I, Detroit was a crown jewel to the extent that Chicago never was. Chicago was a really big butter and egg man from Perth Amboy when butter and egg men were where the action was. Now would be the mid 19th century, know mid late 19th century. But the minute that we became industrialized Detroit was the, gem city i mean mitt romney i've seen the house i've visited the house in which mitt romney grew up that means to say i rode by at a moderate pace of speed in a, in an armored car it was secret service protection because i was in part, part of you know an entourage that was protected not god knows because of me because you can only visit the the home in which mitt romney grew up right now with a Secret Service detachment, armed guard, at a moderate clip. Because if you, God forbid, slow down or get out of the car, you'll have your throat cut in 30 seconds. There are trees growing through the roof. Now, I know we've all seen this or heard about it or seen pictures of it. If you're lucky, you can only imagine it and you've seen pictures of it. But we all know it occurs. We know how, we know why, we know where. And we know we don't want to be there. And Detroit was the crown jewel city. I mean, truly next to New York and Los Angeles, Detroit was the balls. I mean, in the 1940s and 50s, Detroit was the boss. And now there are trees growing through the roof, ferns shooting out the bay window of the home in which Mitt Romney was born and, and raised. So, Detroit's a pretty good place to give a speech on the economy because it has been ground zero and you know very much the first and hardest hit, in a way, of any epicenter of our economic and cultural, I I believe they're wed, uh, ruin. Trump gave a major economic speech in Detroit today. In substance, in substance, it consists chiefly of this thesis. I will reduce... Tax brackets from the current seven to three. I will reduce taxes within each, in a major way, in each of those tax brackets. I will cut the taxes business pays from 30, what is it, 5, to 15% it was to say the least well received it was and this needs to be needs to be included because there's no way around it the the uh, blm or bm or sanders or occupy or Poopify or whatever it is people uh, interrupted trump's speech in a very, this is the funny thing, the only thing they can organize, these people cannot, these protesters, cannot organize washing their armpits. They can't organize a bath. They can't organize a shave. And I'm just talking about the women. And yet, when it comes to organizing a protest against a conservative or, forgive me, against a anyone with whom they disagree, they are like Swiss watch manufacturers. These people interrupted Trump's speech one every three minutes for the virtually virtual entirety of the speech. It was, I mean, as an old protester, I must say, it was well done. It was a pain in the ass, but it was well done. Back to Trump's speech. Can this is this ought this might this be a jump start? Can this be a a wiping the slate clean and an attempt by Trump to get back on track after what I regard as perhaps likely the most dreadful week? Of coverage a modern presidential candidate has ever, ever been the victim of, or or inherited as a product of his own asinine mistakes. You, You tell me where on the spectrum that judgment falls, but there is no doubt that the last 10 days have been absolutely dreadful for Donald Trump couple of noteworthy things within that statement one is do you think he knows it <laughs> I'm not sure he knows it and you know and and if he doesn't I'm not sure that's a blessing imagine if you didn't know enough to know and everyone around you was you know busy in my day if the ba- bathroom door was locked for more than a minute and a half you knew that there were seven people in there doing cocaine now, if you're with the Trump campaign, if the bathroom door is locked and there are seven people in there, they're passing around a razor blade like in the old days, but no drugs. They're just passing around a razor blade with which to slit their own wrists. So was today a, a, a start, a jump start, a new day? Man, he needs it. But wouldn't it be something if Trump, if, if everyone in the office was trying to cut their wrists and Trump was saying, Hey, what's the matter? I mean, forget about it. What are you worried about? We're fine. We're fine. We're going to beat her by 110 points. You know, I mean, it would be kind of a blessing. They do say ignorance is bliss. I'm not saying stupid. I'm saying ignorance is bliss because the old saying ain't stupid is bliss. Stupid ain't never bliss. Ignorance can be in limited circumstances. So maybe he doesn't know but i think he probably does and the last 10 days have been brutal for him so uh the god's willing the god of your choice the god's willing this is a jump start for him a restart of his campaign and they will cover the substance of this although tonight the networks will say donald trump gave a major speech today in which he outlined his economic policy but it was constantly interrupted by protesters Let's go to Joe Jamoke on the scene. And they'll do five seconds of that he gave a speech and a minute and a half on the protesters. But.
2: Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. The Jay Severin Show on
1: the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest, as for inside baseball, which I know a lot of us like, let me quickly throw this in before we go to the phones. We have a partner on the phone, and that is uh, Donald. Donald, I know you're listening. Why call it in your speeches? Why make continuous reference to the Obama-Clinton economic policies? Or the Obama-Clinton anything. Don't. You know why? Don't. Because Obama has a 56% approval rating. And though you are an amateur and unable to read the room, you would have noticed, and I please the gods of our choice, someone that works for you noticed this and pointed out to you and can show you in the video that every time today you criticized Obama, you got no applause. I'm not saying they love Obama. I'm not saying this crowd loves Obama, but they don't despise him. They ought to, but they don't. And every time you said Obama, you know, it, it was one particular line. It was constructed as an applause line. You delivered it beautifully, and you said, because a vote for Hillary is a vote for four more years of Obama. And that's... Here, here. I'm replaying the video of the reaction. Ready? Here it is again. Crickets.
3: Crickets.
1: Crickets. And one of the reasons for the crickets is that Obama's got a 56% approval rating. Hillary has a 6% approval rating when it comes to her being a fat-ass liar. So, Donald... No more Obama slash Clinton. There will be circumstances in which the invocation of Obama's name is uh, appropriate and appropriately a yield for you. But this wasn't it. Go after the one, not with the 56% approval rating. Don't remind or educate or reinforce any one of these stoonads these stoops, that you're going to continue Obama because they love Obama. You go after Hillary. One has 56% trust. The other one has 6% trust. You feeling me? You feeling me? Well, stop feeling me, or at least buy me dinner first. Romano from Nevada, welcome.
4: Yes, yes, uh, partner, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you very much, partner.
4: You sound like you're doing well. You know, I was listening on uh, the radio to clips from Trump's speech to the economic club. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say that he does not have a communications director. And if he does, it's a member of his family. Uh,
1: just a quick oh, And what you mean by that, I take it, is that he doesn't listen to them or listens to them select, very selectively.
4: That and his uh, his... His style of speaking, to me, is it, it's not a good he – he's not a good speaker. His, he had a line where he, he repeated it a couple of times that uh, we –
1: Can you get a little louder for us, Romano?
4: Yes, I can. How's that? Is that better?
1: There you go. That's great. Thank you, bud.
4: Okay. Yeah, he was saying, uh, yeah, we will, we will put people back to work. We will do – he was emphasizing the third – the third word he should, what he should be emphasizing is, we will put people back to right. work. We will bring jobs back. But he was saying we we will put people back. We will bring. Yeah, yeah.
1: Romano, you've obviously got the ear. We have in the business people that have the ear. Some people have the clock. Uh, I happen to have, have the ear, ear and the clock. <laughs> there are there there are there are there are others. You know, with these kind of things, uh, Donald Trump, and it's okay. I can't build a building. Uh, Donald Trump does not have these Romano you among uh, other uh, I'm guessing uh, great skills one of them is obviously you have an ear for this and Uh, Donald Trump does not you are exactly right without a here's 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 the conundrum (laughs) for Donald Trump vis-a-vis speaking Romano uh, in 10 seconds or less go with a Uh, teleprompter he gets across full English sentences, but is boring, and so they may not be understood. Without a teleprompter, yeah. he sucks. That was exactly 10 yeah. seconds. Um, uh, just, uh, worst, uh, and that's it. If he doesn't use a prompter, he sounds like one of the lesser characters from Casino. If he, yeah. if he does use the prompter, he sounds like a lesser actor from Casino doing an impersonation of... Of a congressman from Utah.
4: Yeah, so he needs somebody to work with him on that. And lastly, I'd like to say, I'd like for him to steal a line. I believe it was Obama's line, his slogan: "Yes, we can." So you know, I just mentioned that he had he had repeated the "Yes, we will do this" or "The yeah. we will do this" stuff. His his slogan should be, "Not yes, we can. Yes, we will."
1: Very good. <laughs> Very good. good and also, All right. uh, the uh, the agent of change is the word, in this case, change. He he does not, they don't yet appreciate that. I know, I know in some meetings, someone said we can't use the word change because Obama used it, hope and change. You know what? So what? The fact is, Obama's slogan was hope and change. And uh, what,
4: what he uh, meant was for, for, hope for, and no change.
1: For Trump. The true slogan is hope equals change because I mean, without change, there is no hope. And w- the one dynamic working unilaterally in Trump's favor right now is the yearning for change. He must harness it. He must distinguish it. He must make it his own. He hasn't. Yes.
4: No, Obama, we are not better. Or no, Hillary, we are not better off than we were eight years ago. You big fat player, like you said.
1: <laughs> hey, you do that pretty well.
4: Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you move on. And so Romano, thank you. It's always, Romano, good, you yes, you. It's always it's good, good to
1: have you at our annual board of directors meetings, and I'm glad you decided to uh, stand and be heard, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Our partner, thank Romano. You. Thank From you. Nevada, Roma. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, okay, the trade conundrum. I'm going to spend very little time on this. Uh, I'm mentioning it at all because maybe, uh, maybe I owe it to those of us who understand even less about it than I do. But I really don't understand a lot. You know what, though? I think what little I understand is the absolute quintessence of it. And here it is. And it is a conundrum. It is a dilemma. And here it is. Am I against the toilet paper treaty, TPP? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, was I against GATT and NAFTA? I'm proud to say that I worked as the director of communications for the national ad hoc campaign, assembled... And directed by Pat Buchanan, who ran a national campaign to try and defeat NAFTA and GATT and the World Trade Organization. Full-page ads, Washington Post, New York Times, TV commercials, radio commercials. I did them. I'm very, very proud of that. For a variety of reasons. Right now, for the substance Let's address just the substance of, of the position. I think they have been, just as Pat said they would be, they have been disasters. The reason that there is no more American steel in American buildings or American cars, the reason there are no more American cars, the reason there are no more American industrial jobs, the reason that when I was a kid, people's parents, not not. Not my parents and not necessarily where exactly I lived, but when I was a kid, Americans could go to high school and not necessarily, by the way. They didn't need to finish high school. That was regarded, you know what You know what high school was when my father was in high school? It's what college is today. Almost everybody went to high school. My father and grandfather, almost everybody went to high school. Well, now everybody goes to college. And it means pretty much the equivalent of what a mediocre high school used to mean. And mediocre because everybody does it. The minute everybody goes to college, you know what happens? And this is exactly what happened. Everybody went to law school. Everybody went to law school. Now, here's the great dividing line. And you see, as you know, I worship lawyers. I worship the law. I don't worship all lawyers for obvious reasons. I worship the law, and thus I worship the practitioners who take it to heart, take it seriously, see it as the glue that binds the moral sphere and the practical sphere of our civilization together. The law. I love it. I love good lawyers. But you see, You can be a bad lawyer and get through a bad law school. That's why when my father or that's when when I was in high school, the number of law schools in the United States was one twenty fifth of the number of law schools now, because once everybody was going to college. World War Two parents wanted their kids. It was college wasn't good enough. They wanted all their kids to go to law school that. Sentiment remains until this day. The problem is, opening a crappy law school and going to one doesn't make you what your grandparents thinks it automatically makes you. You, you know you, our grandparents grew up in communities in which, if you were a lawyer, you were on the absolute uh, income, social uh, plane in your community as a surgeon as an architect, guess what? Not true anymore. There are a lot of bad lawyers. I don't mean illegal, I don't mean illicit, I don't mean dishonest. There are a lot of dumb, bad lawyers because the law schools grew exponentially in order to accommodate the market because everyone wanted to go to law school. Guess what? You build a bad law school, they will come. The difference is you build a bad medical school, and, A, you really can't. B, if you do, dumb or mediocre people can't get through medical school because there's no BS. You get through medical school or you don't. Law school, they'll just build another bad one that's a little worse than the bad one you didn't get into.
2: Jay 7 on the Blaze Radio Network. on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Best and brightest, let me finish this point if I may quickly, and we have a partner on the phone, we have a couple of them, and uh, if you are there, I'll uh, dispense with the monologue. Please, please, yes I will, Uh, please, yes I will dispense with the monologue and open the show with you in a few moments, but let me finish this point. And this is good for both of us, because otherwise unconstrained I might be uh, attempted to talk about this far beyond the limits of uh, the town limits and this town is called ignorance mine okay and that is again trade okay GAT NAFTA toilet paper P the TPP all of this stuff sure I'm against it sure I want to bring back American steel American coal American manufacturing jobs I want that but You know what, when I listen to the academics and among them real economists talk about this, it kind of bothers me because really, really bright people say, you know, would that it were as easy as saying, okay, we wave a wand. We have American steel, American coal. We build American cars. We slap tariffs on foreign products. We bring back American jobs. We all want that. Except when you listen to the people who have made a study of the centuries-old weird science of economics, or people who just sort of know the facts, Will tell you that, like I've said about London, now Londonistan, look for it only in history books, in the words of Margaret Mitchell, because it is it exists only in history books, that London is gone, gone with the wind, forever. Well, if you think about trade in the United States, do we really think, and look I don't know but I think it's a very legitimate and compelling question. Do you really think that no matter who is president, do you think we're going to bring back, do you think we're going to return the Rust Belt and other areas to a thriving beehive of industrial, heavy industrial activity? Do you think the days when a guy could go to high school, which is where I started this whole thing, he could go to high school or not, go to work at the plant, put two kids through college, go on vacations, buy a home on a one parent income, working at the plant his whole life, and then his son would take his job. Think we can go back to that? Think those steel mills, those manufacturing jobs, hard manufacturing is really going to come back and re-employ tens of millions of Americans? Or really are the jobs of the future totally different than those jobs And they just ain't coming back.
2: This is Jay Severin Severin. on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: All right. We haven't by any means exhausted the immediate major political civic circus Moximus issues of the day, but... Warning, warning, we probably will hit the Olympics somewhere here. Excelsior. Welcome back, best and brightest. I am Jay Severin, your humble servant. All right, all right, well, I mean, I, I don't lie, and I there I am. I've lied five seconds into the show. Jay Severin, your humble servant. Okay, Jay Severin, your servant. 1-888-900-3393. Do I, I hope I stand corrected. 1, self-corrected. 1-888-900-3393. True to my word. Mac from Massachusetts. Welcome back.
5: <clears throat> Jay, my Boston brethren and fellow etymological pugilist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well done, I, sir.
5: Well done. I, I, I had a I had a question for you, and I, I really need you to opine. Given the number of times that Crew, I'm sorry that Trump would just. Can you two get
1: louder for us? I know it's me going deep. But.
5: Yes. How's that? Great, great,
1: better. Thank you.
5: Uh, the, the way he would cut out lying Ted, lying Ted, when he was using you know twisted uh, you know verbal spats and 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 and, and, and you know he, he just wasn't he he was lying about Ted lying, and here we have Hillary, maybe the best-documented professional liar in the history of modern politics. And he's really not doing anything to to highlight the fact that she is just a pathological, serial liar. I mean, just reptilian indifference of the truth. And why do you think he's not just hammering her on that?
1: Um, here's my answer. Uh... If we learned tomorrow, if you, if you, if you learned tomorrow that Hillary Clinton, no matter what, each day, devoted two hours to her stamp collection, and I came running into your office, you were the candidate, and I said, Mark, I just found out she spends two hours a day on her stamp collection. What would your reaction likely be? Um no no, no, no trick question here. Just think think openly. Your natural um, response.
5: Well my first response was what's that got to do with anything?
1: Thank you. Okay? When <laughs> when we did polls when I did campaigns in uh, yesteryear When I did campaigns and we did polls, I learned, and it was a little galling to learn from someone younger than I. Doug Schoen was the first uh, guy I remember meeting who I recognized almost immediately was a lot smarter than I. And it was galling to have someone younger than I be smarter than I. But at least I wasn't so stupid that I didn't recognize it. I wasn't so far gone that I couldn't at least... You know, recognize it. And Doug said to me, look, this is like, think of this as two matching menus, like like an ethnic menu. And you're allowed to pick one from column A and column B. Think of the polls as column A and column B. When we finish this poll, we're going to end up with two columns. Column A is going to be the issues that voters most care about. Column B is going to be the issues with which our candidate or the opponent is most closely associated. Okay. So if you say to me, well, this guy's going to do okay because he's for lower taxes. Right. But if you happen to live in a district or a state and lower taxes comes in at 8th, or 18th on column B. See, you have to match, you have to draw the straight line between the issue you're associated with or that your opponent is, if it's something bad, you know, like higher taxes, say. If, you, if you're if you running in a state where the number two issue of voter concern is taxes are too high, and then in column B... You find that your opponent has voted consistently for higher taxes. You draw that line between the two, and that immediately becomes your nexus. What you could because you each this is yin and yang; they must match. They are the Siamese twins of political reality. You, uh, uh, an issue is is useful to you, Mark, only if it's mm-hmm. salient to the voters, and so. I think we would all be shocked to learn, I know I was, when I did some of my first going door-to-door with Doug Schoen in Oklahoma, in the governor's race back in, I don't even want to say when, but a while back, and I was 26 years old, like, and you were—you would ask me, what are the things important to you, you know, as issues? And then we would knock on these doors prearranged we, we would we would visit these people with whom we had been uh, whom we had been polling and the the, 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 uh, the door was answered by uh, an attractive young woman who was probably 20 or 22, and she had a four-year-old, a two-year-old. And an infant in arms. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm I'm from Manhattan. We opened the door and I thought it was the babysitter. My entire cultural reference point was blown apart. I didn't come from a place where young women in their early 20s had three children. And then we would ask her just a telescope to compress this, uh, Marky. We, mm-hmm. We'd say, What's, what do you really care about in politics? Thinking about the upcoming election, what do you really care about? And this 22-year-old woman would, would, with a gleam in her eye and taking care of her three kids all at once and with the practiced hand of a loving mother, would look right at us and say, oh, Abortion. And meaning, I'm appalled, I'm horrified by abortion, and it's against God's will, and I, I want it made illegal. Mark, I didn't come, and neither do you, I think, I didn't come from that part of the planet. And so, nope. this is part of a lesson to me that I learned in different regions of the country, Uh, Of course, different countries, different regions of the country, different states within those regions, different congressional districts, hell, different zip codes within those congressional districts, depending on whether it divides the Italian section of town from the Irish part of town, the Catholic part of town from the Baptist part of town, the black part of town from the white part of town, Jewish part of town from the, you you know, on and on and on. I learned that those two columns, we go back to those two columns, A and B here are the issues of the moment and everyone can name them no matter which of those designations in which you reside we can all name taxes law and order you know illegal immigration social welfare national security we can we can go ahead and and list the generic list mark and and mm-hmm. and, and, and and the difference is in some districts areas zip codes states Where those issues go on a priority basis are completely flipped from the home you might have been in last night on the other side of town. And so part of the technical, so to speak, end of of elections and campaigning is learning how to find, you know, identify, recognize, locate, communicate with persuasively and motivate those voters who, you know, last night I was talking to a 22-year-old woman who said stopping abortion is my number one topic in the world. The next night I was talking to someone who lived five minutes away and whose life circumstance or gender or religion was so totally different that, you know, for them, abortion was like number 22, on their list of priorities taxes was number one and so um i have to take a break please hold you may or may not wish to respond to what i've just said i'm not even sure what i just said it may or may not have to do with what you want to say but in a moment mark will tell us
2: jay severin on the blaze radio network
1: j Severin show welcome back partners and i guess what i meant to say before when i talked about the trade thing and again i i hope i didn't violate my promise not to drive outside the town limits the town named ignorance you know mine welcome to jay's ignorance you know come back soon uh and 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 uh all I, what i'm really saying is a i don't fully understand it, it You know, which is probably apparent. Number two, I think what I get is that TPP, for instance, this new trade deal, and probably the ones before it, I believe deeply that they did cause, they they lubricated the departure of 10 million American jobs. They they drove 10 million Americans out of jobs onto the welfare rolls. They ruined, this was not their intention, but it may have been a foreknown consequence. It had to be a foreknown consequence. These trade deals served a point of view, and that point of view was, You can stick your finger in the dike. I know, I know. I'd rather work, thank you. You could stick your finger in the dike, but eventually, hydrodynamics are going to defeat you. Hydraulics, whatever it is. Okay, you can do whatever you want to do, but American steel is no longer going to be the world standard. We're not going to make cars in Detroit anymore. We're not going to make things that can be made in Mexico or Jakarta by people who earn five cents a day. And money goes where it is well-treated. Money goes where it is well-treated. I know that much economics. And so I know that certain kinds of manufacturing jobs are not going to return ever to a place where they cost more per unit. That's why Trump's making the big deal out of the air conditioning people, right? They moved to Mexico. They moved to Mexico because they can hire workers who do the same job for one twentieth of the salary and thus either or both cut the price of their product to become more competitive and sell more of what they make and or, you know, quintuple their bottom line by move. They don't care where the stuff's put together. They don't care where it's assembled or manufactured. They care about their stockholders. These jobs are never coming back. And so the philosophy of this is if you are 40, 45, 50, And you have lost your job at the plant. It ain't never coming back. And this nonsense that you're going to retrain for a job in the new economy is horse shite. What TPP and all these trade agreements mean, this is again, opinion, 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 and ignorant, ignorant, ignorant. But it is my sense that what these trade deals are all about is that if you're 50 and out of a job, you're out of a job. That job ain't a coming back. But your children are going to have jobs because the people who are now 15, 20, 25 years old are moving into the economy and they're not going to work with helmets on with welding equipment in a Detroit uh, steel production, heavy manufacturing. They're going to work in front of a computer. And that's what they grew up with. And if we do return, the conundrum is if we do return, if we take the steps necessary to return to the revitalization of Detroit and Pittsburgh and we start making American steel and selling it and forcing the world to buy it because we slap tariffs on any, everybody else, then yeah, a few hundred thousand of those 50-year-olds are going to get their jobs back. And your children are going to spend their lifetimes in a studio apartment on unemployment because that's not where the future is going. Money and jobs go where they go. And that's the extent of my understanding. Now here I am chewing up more of Mark's time as a consequence of which he will be again invited and I will receive more complaining uh, uh, tweets that Mark's on too often. That's my fault and my blessing. Mark, welcome back. Thanks so much, Jay.
5: So yeah, I, I, so I totally get the fact that um, there's going to be different drivers in different households, but when when you think about something like the 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 amount of dishonesty, I mean that's such a horizontal topic. No one likes being lied to, and and the the, the level to which she is dishonest, it's almost on a Faustian scale. She just no one cares. Care.
1: Mark, you're I mean, right, and no, uh, it's twerking, dada. It's twerking. Nobody uh, it, cares. Uh, it's just,
5: I mean, I, I resign the fact that there's a certain population who just mindless zombies who will vote for her if she goes and, and empties an Uzi in a maternity ward. But for people in the middle, it, it, like, it,
1: like, how dishonest is she? Who was that? on the May cover of Vanity Fair?
5: I'm going to guess Hillary.
1: Bruce Jenner. Oh, God, save us. Bruce Jenner, with his wedding tackle, fairly well outlined in the photographic spread by a famous photographer. Bruce Jenner was on the cover of Vanity Fair, and I'm I'm to be surprised that Hillary is a fraud and a liar and could still get elected. This isn't the America you grew up in.
5: Oh, God. You know, the Maitre D, the snooty Mater D in Ferris Bueller was prophetic when he said, a week to the future.
1: <laughs> great line. <laughs> All right, dude, All right thanks Mark, for me I got to go, and I, I, I took too <laughs> right. much of your time. No you're great. Will you call back soon? Yes, sir. All right. Mark from uh, the Commonwealth, and in case I hadn't mentioned... Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak to somebody from the Commonwealth here on the Blaze Radio Network. 1-888-900-3393. one 900 3393 When we return, I will either have some shocking Donald Trump stuff or some really interesting Olympic stuff or maybe both, you know. I've been working on this stuff. I don't put anything by us. Uh, And I just, my heart is broken over the Olympics. Maybe we oughtn't do that. I'll start crying.
2: Jay Severin, The Blaze Radio Network.
4: Is the Jay
1: Severin Show. Best and brightest, I'm going to mention the Olympics to this extent and then maybe jump back to Trump depending on whether you call and what you say when calling. 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. We haven't spoken since the opening ceremonies. Now, I've been on Twitter like mad all weekend, and I hope you will join me there. I actually get to say some things there. Not a lot, but a few that I maybe wouldn't say here. Uh, And Twitter is at Jay, then little underscore hickey, S E V E R I N. At Jay underscore doohickey, S E V E R I N. Opening ceremonies. I had no idea that the rich history of Brazil is essentially hip-hop. I had no idea that the historical background of Brazil is the evil white man, the devil, coming in and killing and enslaving everybody, as a result of which the natives... The natives protested by creating and performing hip-hop. I had no idea. Uh, There were elements of the opening ceremony that were visually interesting. But the entire thing is breaking my heart. There is much discussion every day about, you know, the fecal matter and eyeballs, and used needles. Oh, I know the one I heard this morning on BBC. Or I mean, or by that this morning I mean four a.m. Eastern time on BBC. Um, used colostomy bags. Ho! Used colostomy bags, and eyeballs, and needles, and skulls, and dead animals. And there was a sailing team that went into the water yesterday. And so Guru Jay now tells medical futures as well as political futures. And so those people who went in the water, Hep C and a number of diseases not yet medically recorded are in their probably, I hope not, but likely in their immediate future. This thing the Olympics were a holy thing, a holy thing when I was growing up. As I have mentioned, more so the Winter Olympics, much, much, much more so the Winter Olympics than Summer Olympics for a variety of reasons, but mostly and obviously uh, including the fact that the sports of the Winter Olympics included and were derivative of those things that we did as a family outdoor winter sports in cold places is what we did is how we spent our vacations is what we did together is what we liked doing my parents were a couple of the original skiers they they met skiing just after world war ii i mean that whole deal i mean we were a skiing family from the moment we were born which is no big deal but it it it, it was back when i was a little kid we had to like search out other families when we found out someone skied it would be like wow you ski you know and as a result to us the opportunity to gra- gather around what was had become the electronic family hearth which turned from the fireplace to include the radio then the radio was shut off forever and the television set became where everyone's eyeballs were unless they were in that bay contiguous to the olympic village everyone's eyeballs are riveted on the fireplace every night the fireplace is now the television set and we gathered around it in black and white And watched the Winter Olympics, summer too, but the Winter Olympics were the big deal. And I I can't tell you how fond are my memories of the Winter Olympics and following them and cheering for certain teams. We were, you know, we had family roots in certain European. Teams because back then the American teams didn't really exist in anything in the winter Olympics. Are you kidding me, we didn't exist when the Americans won the gold medal in the 1960 Olympics in hockey, that was unheard of that put us on the map I mean i nineteen eighty was the big one, but nineteen sixty was the grandmother of all of them. And a few of the sons of the players on the 1980 team that beat the Russians. A few of the sons had fathers on the 1960 team. I mean, the Christian family and others, just unbelievable. I'm just trying to say the Olympics were very, very special to me and my family when I was growing up. And when I became a father, when I became a family man, and I hope I am, and all that that means, when I became a family man, the Olympics became a a legacy. They They became, as silly as it sounds, they became kind of a... I know this is silly, but like a family legacy. I mean, no, no, uh, I never competed in the Olympics. Uh, uh, We had a cousin who did. But we never knew that cousin. (laughs) So it's not like there was any connection of any kind, really, you know, that we had with it. Other than back then, it was like a secret society. Because nobody did the things or cared about the things or had ever before watched or read about or visited places where the things they do in the winter Olympics were done. And we were unusual. We did. And so it was like a secret society in a way. And with all the, none of the bad of that, you know, nothing exclusionary, just all the good of that. Something that was special that we shared as a family and with other people who were also unusual and, you know, did and or loved and or observed and valued the same. And so when I became a family man, I said, oh, you know, this is going to be great. Just wait until... They're old enough to appreciate what this is. And it's going to be just like it was when I was a kid. And you know what? It's not like, it's not just like it was. I mean, it's not just like it was for a variety of reasons. With that, I'm not going to go into. I'll limit them to mentioning We needed as a family to gather together and watch the Olympics. Yes, because we loved to do that, to be together, to make, man, I remember popcorn and pizza and Orange Crush and Coca-Cola and having friends over and watching the Olympics. And man, hurry up and get here because the slalom, the giant, the downhill, the ski jumping begins in... You know, in, in half an hour, hurry up and get over here. and And I thought I could transfer that. You know, I thought that was a transferable legacy. And now, for instance, my little girl doesn't need to be around the family hearth. I mean, she is, and I dare say, more than a lot of others her age, but she doesn't need to be in order to know the scores or the outcomes because she already knows on her cell phone what the outcome is. There's no, you know, drama of will the swimmer do it tonight? Will the whatever it is you know winter or summer olympics a lot of the immediacy of the drama is gone and needless to say a lot of the a lot of the currency of direct family contact is also gone even in our family and i pray in yours in where we place a A a, 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 total value on that. It's still diminished. And before I just end up sounding like an entirely cranky old man who, you know, says, Kids, what the heck's the matter with kids today? Daniel and Anthony, kids, who can understand anything they say? Daniel and Anthony, kids. And I could do the whole thing. Uh, uh, from Bye Bye Birdie, but I won't. And yeah, that's essentially what I'm saying. And yeah, I am cranky, but I miss certain things. Certain things have a place. And the Olympics, as a family, together, had a place. And I crave and miss that place.
2: This is Jay Sebron on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Sebron.
1: Best of brightest, someone uh, well, it's Drudge. Someone passed along to me that Drudge is reporting that uh, is this new? I don't know uh, that that Zika mosquitoes, mozzies, as known down south way, uh, Zika mosquitoes have hit Palm Beach, and I quickly shot out a message. Uh, don't don't worry, uh, Zika mosquitoes will be priced out of the Palm Beach market they'll have to move to Georgia so you know yin yang that whole thing Scott from Boston what up
3: Jay good afternoon my friend how are you Barbie, Scott. bro what's up I'm well, hey, and uh apologies to your regular listeners they're going oh Jesus he's calling again I was just on Friday for a long
1: time but I couldn't hey, help they it. have phones
3: I I don't know. I don't know. Talk radio etiquette, you know, once a week, every two weeks. I don't know. how. It's not your
1: business to know.
3: Fair enough. Okay, let's talk Olympics real quick, my friend. Sadly, yes, times are changing, Jay. Times are changing. (laughs) Sadly, what makes the Olympics a success that we did not uh, think this way in 1980 was, oh, there's there's been no terror attack. Oh, great. It's a success. And sadly, that's our new barometer, in my opinion. That's uh, a sad. good.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, we are so overjuiced, you know, on stimuli that it's harder. And this is that that, that this great point, by the way, you're making. And I, I think this is the one you're making is that we are so overjuiced in terms of stimuli that sitting still. And I mean, I know that my little girl, like, if it's a 100 meter. Swimming race, you can barely get her to sit still for the one hundred meters. If it's eight hundred meters, forget it. Right. right. You
3: yes. know, I, right. I
1: can't sit. I can't sit still that long. We want. We have to have action all the time. The visual stimulation, especially the, uh, you know, younger people growing up with uh, cell phones as physical appendages. Yeah, I, I
3: mean. I mean, I'm just like I'm coming in late. You know what I mean? I, I was out. I just came in and cut the tail end, and it inspired me to call. So if I'm beating a dead horse here, hey, you know. hey, you,
1: we only have but, a minute and a half. Don't waste okay, it yeah, on so. your hall monitor excuse. Tell, tell me what you're thinking.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying it. I, I don't know what you were saying resonates with me. It almost makes me sad. Like the days are not just the Olympics. Life is different. Like we're no, I the know. Same world, Jay. It's I know, the same world. and
1: that's why I said I know. I sound I sound like a cranky old man. It's just that the very simple, basic facts facts are that families used to gather, you know, to watch the Olympics and make kind of a big deal out of it, and they no longer do. I think that's a fact, and I think it's lamentable.
3: And would you, would you not agree, putting terror aside, which I, I will reiterate that point. I, that's the whole point of my call. Like, oh, there's been no explosion, so the Olympics are a success. Sadly, that's our barometer, right. and I, I know I'm repeating myself on that one. But, yeah, it's just things are different, man. Like, the world's changing, Jay, and I don't know. Like, you, went, the other day you said I'm a kind of fatalist point of view, and maybe I am. But I just, I hope the world can change, man. I don't like where we're at in general, you
1: know? Scott, change is not, and I have to run and call earlier next time. I know you've got a life, but we love having you, so call earlier. Yeah, I mean, the the every day I think I realize more and more the rapidity of change. But I also must say, while change can be good, all change ain't necessarily good. And I don't like a lot of what I see.
2: The Jay Severin Show.